0: So we'll do scripture tonight. I just want sort to of turn to uh First Corinthians in chapter uh thirteen. There are a couple of thoughts there. Mm. I think one of the um things that's always comes out at a convention is um I dare say the uh the very uh <coughs> emphasis again upon uh, the emphasis. Word of God as being a total foundation and uh, the very thought that uh, from uh, all, our, all of our uh, various assemblies we are uh, constantly reporting people being baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that, that emphasis never disappears. We're very excited to see people baptised uh, in the front of uh, this mighty crowd and it must have been a little disconcerting to some of them to be baptised in front of uh, Two and a half thousand people watching on, and it was literally watching on because they had the tank out in front of everybody. There's no sort of snucking in behind the curtain and getting in the tank. You had to clamber right up the top of the chair into the tank in front of everybody. And anyhow, uh, praise right? the Lord over were bold. The Lord gave me courage, and uh, the Lord was really blessing there. But uh, the thought came out again and again of the, the oneness and the, the unity in the Lord in the Spirit in the uh, things of the Lord that has united us together. And uh, a tremendous uh, feeling there. Uh, what I was uh, maybe my is there are many conventions in, in the world today, and I remember some of uh, various religious conventions I went to myself uh, before I uh, became involved with the full gospel message. And uh, it uh, was a sort of a general thought that at that particular convention there were various things that were offered. But uh, the moment you left the convention, it was all over. And uh, I suppose the one I particularly relate to is the Billy Graham Crusade that I went to uh, 21 years ago, or 22 years ago, uh, before I came to the Lords. And uh, at that particular time, there were, it uh, had the, the appearance, you might say, of unity. But in actual fact, there was very little unity there. Because the only way that, that those people gathered together under one banner, was uh, on the condition that there was total compromise uh, by the man who stood out the front. And that he was uh, uh, on a really on tender hook that he didn't offend anybody because he'd gathered together people from every denomination and the one thing that suffered most of all that night was the word of God. Because the word of God had to be pushed completely almost out of the picture because if he dared to quote uh, too much from the Word of God, he would have had various people in that congregation who would have uh, strongly disagreed, and would have got up and walked out. And uh, the Church of England, uh, when they heard that he was coming to Australia, they said they would not attend his meetings if he preached full immersion baptism. And so he agreed that he wouldn't preach it, and uh, that was the the price that had to be paid uh, to gather together those people and uh, well, uh, as I said, uh, it appeared good from the outside, and uh, like many people, were like we went back into our old dead religion, was the only thing we had to go back to after the after the uh, campaign, and uh, within months, most of whatever was supposed to have been achieved disintegrated because uh, the vast majority of people fell away. I know one of the churches that I went to was one of the major supporters, and there were a number of families. Uh, who wanted to follow the laws. And they started attending this particular church straight after the campaign. Six months later, there was only our immediate family that was left, the rest had fallen away. Why? Because the balloon had burst and uh, the glory that had been promised to them was no longer there. So it was, as I said, very exciting to uh, know that uh, here was a continuance. Here was something that, uh, well, uh, we're only too excited to go back and uh, go on with the work. In other words, part of the church, not just part of the revival centers of Australia, but part of the church of God, part of uh, those who were called out and baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is certainly the exciting part of it. Just one thought here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says in verse 11, He says, When I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. And uh, here is a a tremendous reference to the uh, second coming and to uh, the kingdom that uh, Jesus Christ is going to establish on this earth. And uh, the Apostle Paul was uh, looking forward to that particular time. And uh, he, he, he likened unto a child who lacked understanding until they came to adulthood. And he said there that well, we now see through a glass darkly. And, uh, and yet of course to the, the spirit fields there is, their understanding is so much greater than natural man. But still not yet equal uh, to the full understanding of God himself. We are saying recently, we will not have to ask why about anything. We will know. We will not have to ask how about anything. How did God do this? Or how did God do it? We will know how He did this. We will know all His wisdom and all His knowledge. The Apostle Paul said here, we will know as we are now known. In other words, we will have equal knowledge to the greatest. Knowledge in the world, which is God and His kingdom. Our knowledge will be equal with His. And I'm going to talk a little bit tonight about the inheritance of the saints. And uh, what a uh, great blessing and what uh, almost breathtaking uh, uh, blessings God is going to pour out upon the saints. And uh, uh, how important they are to God. What great rewards there are for those that go on in the kingdom of God. I dare say most people do not like to blow their own bags as the saying is. People like to so, show some form of humility when they're talking about themselves even if they don't really believe what they're saying. Even if they really think they're a like lot greater than that. They sort of like to play themselves down a bit to sort of appear as though they're not too know uh, uh, And ish um, But um, we see that uh, the Bible is very clear upon the fact that The saints are somebody very important to God. We're going to see a few scriptures tonight that uh, will bring out that importance. Let's have a look in uh, Psalm 49. We'd like to uh, clarify to any new people in the meeting here tonight that the things that we're going to say, of course, are what the Bible says. And uh, it's not a matter of one having an opinion of oneself that is beyond what the Bible says, but looking literally at what the Bible says about those who follow the looks and uh, the difference, even now, in the eyes of God. We see here in Psalm 49, it says in verse 1, Hear this, all ye people, give ear all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. So this is no isolated uh, reference to just the people of the land of Israel. This is to every inhabitant on the face of the earth. To every one, high or low, rich or poor. My mouth shall speak of wisdom, and the meditation of my heart shall be of understanding, because these things are usually always together, wisdom and understanding or knowledge. Verse 4 And I will incline mine ear to a parable. I will open my dark saying upon the heart. Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil? When the iniquity of my heels You'll compass me about. Now he's asking the question: Why should he fear in the day of evil? And uh, he is going to portray, in this particular psalm, how different the saints are to the people of this world, and therefore there was no need to fear, even though one was encompassed or surrounded by evil. This is in verse six. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. It's a tremendous statement that, of how, that we often see that money cannot buy favour with God's. All the money in the worlds, all the might of the worlds, will not in any way gain favour with God's. Whether you be the man in the street, or whether you be a duke, or whether you be a king, whoever you might be, that will not gain you any favour with God. And for those that you love, for those that you would like to redeem, for those that you would like to uh, have eternity, your money will never, ever bite. You might uh, make the most, uh, have the most incredible funeral uh, for such a person. You might put them in the most glorious tombstone you might even strike maybe a holiday or a day of remembrance for that particular person so that uh, the uh, people of the world might uh, uh, give reverence to such a person. But for all that, that does not in any way make God acknowledge the situation. You cannot pay a ransom uh, for the soul of mankind. Verse 8 says, For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceases forever that he should still live forever and not seek corruption. We might leave the part out in brackets for a moment and read it as it is, from verse 7 to verse 9. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, that he should still live forever and not seek corruption. And as uh, we know, that uh, man is not able, but with his wealth, to gain the most important things of life, which is peace and happiness on this earth, Plus the prolonging of life to eternity. It says in verse ten, "For he that seeth, um, for he seeth that wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the brutish person perish, and leave their wealth to others. Their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever, and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own name. Nevertheless, man, being in honour, abideth not; he is like the beast." That perish. This, their way, is their folly. And yet, their posterity approve their saints. The word posterity is a reference to the generations of the future. They are their descendants, those who would follow after, and might uh, bring forth even many of their wonderful saints, and might hold them, as I said, in forms of various reverence might write various books about them, might write a biography on saying a person who lived hundreds or thousands of years before. And it says that uh, yet the posterity or the, their descendants will approve their sayings, will uphold them. It says for all this they will not in any way continue. They will, they will not continue into everlasting life. In verse 40 it says like sheep they are laid in the grave. In the eyes of God, that's the way it is. there is no difference. Their, their tomb might be gilded, might be covered in gulfs, might have all sorts of in- wonderful inscriptions written all over us. In the eyes of God, like sheep, they are laid in the grave. It says, Death shall feed upon them. And here we see an incredible statement. It says in the uprights, shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume the grave from their dwelling. And uh, we see this statement again about the uprights. It says, those that follow the Lord shall have dominion, which means shall prevail against, shall subjugate, shall rule over them in the morning. And this, of course, is the promise to the saints of the Lord, that uh, man, in all his wisdom, in all his might, in all his wealth, is going to perish and be laid in the grave like a common old sheep. Not much of a uh, thought, uh, Not much uh, from a thought to look forward to. Of course, man has done all sorts of things to preserve himself. We look at uh, the Valley of Kings in ancient Egypt. Of where man built the most incredible tombstones. Of where uh, they turned the daddies into mummies, but it didn't make them live forever, did it? And when I, all the mummies that I have seen, those sort of mummies don't look uh, very exciting, do they? They sort of preserve the remains. Uh, to a very limited de- degree, but uh, they're very much like the Bible talks about the valley of dry bones. The body case might be there, but there's certainly no luck. And they might uh, have built pyramids. And, uh, well, I don't know if I would have really liked to live in the days of uh, the Pharaohs. I certainly wouldn't have liked to be one of their servants or or a member of their family, because invariably when the pharaoh died, they made sure that all the servants and members of the family all died with them. And so uh, it, was a good, it was actually good for the pharaoh because he, the pharaoh had no fear of being poisoned by one of his servants. The At the moment he died, they died too. It was quite a good uh, method of uh, survival. But uh, for all that, for all the treasures they put with the pharaohs, and uh, this sort of thing, it did not prolong their life upon the earth. And it says that the saints, or the upright, would have dominion, dominion in the morning. Now let's uh, go to First Corinthians chapter 6. you see here quite a remarkable statement. First Corinthians chapter 6. One of the most common quoted scriptures in the Bible says, as people often quote it, is, thou shalt not judge. Because it's uh, invariably quoted by people, they don't have a great grasp of the Word of God, certainly not a balanced grasp of the Word of God, and would mostly have no idea of any other scripture in the Bible that has anything to do with judgment at all. And it almost seems as though the Bible uh, has this one and only verse on judgment in the whole of the Bible, and that is, that thou shalt not judge. And of course, uh, when they quote it, they again haven't got really any idea of what it's talking about in the judge or who they are not to judge. And of course they often would take the scripture out of its context. And of course in the particular context that it was placed in, it was uh, particularly referring uh, to judgments between brother and brother and sister and sister, between those who are uh, saved and in the laws. And as the Lord pointed out himself, for those to judge would be incorrect because the Lord has saved both and uh, that they then come under the judgment of God. But, uh, as I said, when they quote such a scripture, they must forget, of course, many of the thoughts that there with Jesus Christ and how he totally condemned his generation and he judged that generation. And then his followers, right throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, they made clear and definite judgments against this world and the sin of this world. And when people quote that scripture, as I said, they're invariably misquoted. As though God says we were not to make any judgement at all about anything. In other words, we were to accept the corruption of the world. We were not to tell people they were unsaved if they were unsaved. We were to uh, sort of give them the understanding that they're okay like they were. Of course, if that was the case, we might as well all pack up and, and go home because the preaching of the Gospel, there is no doubt about it, is a clear and definite judgement between right and wrong. By the very fact that you preach the Gospel, how often I have said to uh, various people to say, thou shalt not judge. I say, well that is, uh, if you say that we're not allowed to judge, let let me ask you a couple of questions. And I would invariably say something naughty like, would you say that uh, a total atheist, uh, such as a communist, is going to get to heaven? And they said, oh well, really, thou shalt not judge. You shouldn't judge them. It depends what degree you want to take it to. And of course somewhere along the line everybody judges. Everybody knows what is right and wrong. Everybody if they hear of a murderer or something like that, they will judge that person and say that they are wrong. You see here a statement in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 it says Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world. And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know you not that you shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this love. I don't hear them quoting those two verses to me. They're actually not even aware they're in the Bible. If here they would like to take away the judgment of the saints, and yet the Bible says that the saints shall judge the works. You might think, well that's an incredible thought. And yet, uh, as I said before, the importance of, of any person who is baptised and through the Holy Ghost and walking on with God would make us take away our breath if we realise the importance the God. They are a rare thing on the earth. They talk about various animals being fairly rare. The saints are fairly rare on the earth. The one who is baptized and filled with, the Lord, uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and walking on with the Lord, they are a rarity. There are many people who take the name of Christianity and religion in various forms, but the true follower of God is a rarity. And to God, they are important. And it seems as though, from various scriptures that we might have time to read here tonight, we pretty well run out of time already, But uh, the thoughts are in the Word of God that God is going to call upon the saints. They're going to be, you might say, judge and jury with God. And who better when you stop and think of that than for those who have walked with God upon this earth, who have overcome this world, who have made a break from the world, who have been baptised and filled with the Holy Spirit and then have gained the experience, the understanding, the wisdom and the knowledge of the laws in how to deal with the kingdom of God right here and now on this earth. And as people go on from year to year in the Lord, you might say that they are the most experienced there are in the things of God. Those who are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The saints shall judge the world. Of course, worse luck like again, they've blown the word saints um, out of all relation to the word of God. They have what they call capital S and and small s saints. Capital S, of course, is one who uh, um, the Catholic Church and the people like that have decided is somebody uh, a little bit above everybody else and uh, they uh, uh, set them on high and you're able to pray to these people. Well, uh, we might uh, point out the fact that the Bible doesn't say anything about this. Somebody must have thought it up somewhere on the line, but the Bible doesn't say anything about us. If God doesn't know anything about us. I dare say God's still looking for the people up there, that everybody's praying. He can't find them. They're not there. The only sort of saint that the Bible talks about is anybody who is baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look up the word saints, it means one who is clean, one who is innocent, one who has been perfected. It also means One who is cherished by the Father and uh, the saints, those who are in the the kingdom of God. It says that they shall even judge angels. What an incredible book. Yet we see again that it's those, those who are baptised all the Holy Spirit, they're going through the trial of fire. They're the ones that the Lord is watching, who is, uh, you might say, in the valley of death. They are the ones who are walking in the world and suffering the mockery of the world, the persecution of the world, and all the things that the world can bring against them. They are the ones that are fully trained in the things of the Lord. Who better could God call as his witnesses, as his jury, as the ones who have experienced the wisdom and the knowledge of God? We finish off by saying in the end of verse 2 there, Are you not... Uh, are ye unworthy to judge the smaller matters, the things pertaining to this life, as it says in the end of verse three? This is only the beginning. You might say the judgment of the saints, the discerning between right and wrong. This word "judge," if you look it up uh, again in the concordance, it means to distinguish. When we ever think of the word judge, we only think of somebody who is condemned. But the true word judge, as we, we stop and think about that, is to distinguish between right and wrong. And as the Bible talks about us being people who can discern between right and wrong. It seems as like though the world has lost its discernment on right and wrong. And right becomes wrong and wrong becomes right in the world today. But it is the saints for the Lord is called to have dominion. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, talking about the judgment. And it says, Neither hell for the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sis, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his will as burning fire a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and thousand 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 thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the judgment was set, and the books were opened. I almost read an identical reference to this in the book of Revelation there, and uh, chapter 20, where it's mentioned the great judgment, same thoughts there of the books being opened. And how are we going to be judged? Out of the books. Of course, the judgment of the saints is not according to their own uh, uh, word, it's according to the word of God. The wisdom that they have and the knowledge that they have is from the word of God, And uh, their, uh, their understanding that God has given them, and a greater understanding of the first scripture we refer to, that we will know as we are known, that our knowledge will be equal to God's. And here we find the 10,000s the and the, the multitudes and the millions that are going to be with God on that particular day. It says, ministering unto the Lord. And it says at that particular time, the judgment shall be set and that the word of God shall be opened. And yet people today ridicule the preaching of the gospel. They're ridiculing God's witnesses. They're ridiculing God's jury. They are a throwing to oneself the ones that the Lord has raised up. And again I bring it, bring back this point. It's of God, it's not of man. It's no glory to man, but it's of the Lord. But if God has ordained it that way, it behoves us to take care that we don't just lightly throw aside the judgment of the saints, the wisdom of the saints, the wisdom of the spirit fills, and those who preach the gospel. Over there in verse 18, it says, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Again it mentions the saints. The saints of the Most High, they're going to take the kingdom. And uh, you think of the wording of that. It is their inheritance. It is their loss. There's, no, uh, there's not going to be uh, any sort of uh, a holding back. It is ours. It is ours to possess. They're so going to take the kingdom. Jesus Christ said that, uh, in his particular day, there were those who took the kingdom by violence. An incredible thought. But it's our inheritance. It makes it sound as though we're almost taking it from God. God wants to have it, by the way. He wants to give it to us. He's given us that inheritance. And he knows it belongs to the saints. In verse 21, we'll be coming you in a moment because of time i like you to read it all at a later date it all flows on. But in verse 21 it says, Neither hell and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. This is talking about the persecution here on this earth. A false religion. In verse 22 it says, Until the ancient of days came. Of course this is a refer- referral to the judgment of the Lord. And it says, The judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Again a reference to the fact that the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And so how far people are away from the facts when they say that those who preach the gospel are not in any position to judge between right and wrong, to judge those that are saved and those that are not saved. Again they forget the scriptures of where Christ said to his own disciples, he said, I give to you the keys of the kingdom. He said, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. He said, Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The Lord gave that authority. The Lord gave the total preaching of the gospel into the kingdom of God. One part of it is you rejoice and it takes away your breath. And the other part is that you suddenly realize the awesome burden you might suffer. But it is a burden. But uh, the, the responsibility of the saints to be faithful preachers of the Gospel. Not to preach under the pleasing of men, but as to preach under what God wants them to be. And That's why Paul said, My Gospel is not after men. I don't do it to please men. I do it to please my Father. because invariably, or from time to time, one does not please mankind. Verse 27 and It says, The kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. He begins with the dominion, appearing. He talks about the very greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. How great is that authority. I can imagine the Lord calling upon his people and saying, I want you to come in as judge and jury with me on this particular occasion. And uh, the inadequacy, maybe the feeling of who me? Surely you don't mean me. As, uh, I would say that we would feel that particular time. But to the Lord's, that's the importance God has placed upon the saints. And that maybe it does us good at times to stop and think of that. Because we get so involved in our old daily life and we just seem like the same old person and drifting along through life. And yet that's what the Lord has made us to be. And that is our inheritance. And it's shortly to be. And I don't think it's only for those who have done what the Lord told them to do. It's only for those that have repeated and been baptized through the Holy Ghost, who have believed the promises of Jesus Christ, those who are walking in the Spirit. Not just for anybody who decides to be religious now and again, and goes to church now and again. I'm not talking about those, the faithful, those who have faithfully upheld God's word. Not the compromisers, not the ones who have preached to please mankind, not those who have said, alright, we'll leave our part of the Bible to please you. What an incredible thought that is. That anybody could do such a thing as a faithful preacher of God. The Apostle Paul would do for us. Never ever will you change the gospel because somebody asked you to do it. Let's have a look in the New Testament, in John chapter twelve and verse forty-eight. It says, and "He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word, hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day." Now that the words of the judgments have already been set, and it is the word of God. No wonder we have to faithfully preach the word of God. No wonder we have to tell everybody they have to repeat and everybody they have to be baptized and everybody they must receive the Holy Spirit. Because if we don't, we're letting you down. We would maybe be giving you a false feeling of security that you think by living a, a sort of a, a fairly good sort of a life that you're okay like you are. We would let you down if we let you walk out of this meeting here tonight thinking that's Because if that is the case, as we say again and again, Jesus Christ died in vain. If you can possibly be saved, by your good works, then Christ was all a waste of time. And yet the Bible says there's no other salvation than through that man Jesus Christ. And yet people say, oh, I believe in Christ. It's very easy to say those words. So easy to say them. And how often we say to such a person, have you been baptized as, oh, I don't think that's necessary. You don't believe in Jesus Christ at all. If you say that baptism is not uh, necessary, Christ said it was necessary. If you believe in Christ, you would be that People say, I don't believe speaking in tongues is necessary. Who are you to say that? Who are you to disagree with God? What a cheat we've got to stand up and say, God doesn't know what he's talking about. That Jesus Christ was lacking in understanding when he said believers would speak with new tongues. We haven't got the right to say that the things that Christ spoke about are unimportant. If he said them, then they are very important. They are vital for our salvation. We've never been given that rust to take away from the words of Christ. Let's move over to Revelation and we'll just skip through a couple of verses here. In Revelation chapter 2 a couple of promises to the overcomers, to those who walk on with the Lord. In Revelation 2 in verse 25 it says, For that which ye have already, hold fast till I come, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, enough to give you the shivers, even as I receive of my father. And it says, And I will give him the morning star. What a promise! It says there in verse twenty-six, I will give him power over the nations. In verse uh, 21 of chapter 3, it says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. We're going to literally rule and reign with Christ right alongside him. Let's just look back to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, his twelve disciples, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now let's turn to Matthew 20, uh, Revelation 20. We will see a reference again to these thrones. Revelation 20. You might have got the idea of running out of time. But anyhow, we'll look at the Scriptures. Revelation 20, talking about when the Lord sets up his kingdom on this earth. In verse 4 it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, and neither had received the mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So again, it mentions not only the twelve disciples, but many others who have stood testimony to the things of the Lord. Under the thrones, uh, they're going to rule and reign with Christ, and that is, as we said before, the inheritance of the saints. And of quite a uh, an exciting thought that uh, that is. Uh, yet to happen and yet to come. And already as said, we read there in First Corinthians uh, chapter 6 that uh, judgment has been given unto the saints. Upon this earth you might say the kingdom of heaven is literally in the palm of the hand of the church. And if they faithfully preach the word of God then it gives opportunity for, the, for this generation to find the looks. And if they hold back, then they hold back literally the kingdom of God's. The Bible says, if our gospel be yet, it is yet to the them that are lot, And that has a double meaning. One is, first of all, that it is literally ye for them that are locked. They can't understand. It's beyond their comprehension. It is only the saints, those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who understands. And the second thought, of course, is that if we, if we don't preach the gospel, well, then, of course, they will never have that opportunity of hearing the gospel. We we'll just finish off in Acts chapter 17. The reference here where the apostle Paul was referring to the time before the gospel. And he said there in Acts chapter 17 and verse 30 he says, And the times of this ignorance God us, that now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so, there might have been a time when we could ignore the things that we're talking about tonight, but this is not the time. You might say there was a time when the gospel wasn't there and God couldn't hold man to the gospel, but in times past, when man was in this ignorance, God was able to wink at us, but this is no winking matter now. We're living in the times when the gospel has been faithfully preached, where we have the whole gospel and the commandment is there that everybody must repent. The word repent means to turn away from this world, to turn unto the Lord with all your hearts. And what a joy that is, to think that that is the inheritance of the saints. That we can become one with the apostles. We can become one with the saints of the Bible. We're fellow heirs with him, with them. We're going to take the kingdom. We're going to have dominion. We're going to rule and reign. The judgment is going to be given unto the saints. That they're going to be judge and jury with the Lord. That the Lord is going to give them that particular preemence. Maybe greater than what man would imagine. And uh we even feel worthy of it. So but that's how the Lord wants us to be. And uh we'll praise the Lord. So that's how He wants it to be. And we're quite happy to go along with this. So we're going to rule and reign with the Lord forever and ever and ever as it said there in Daniel chapter seven and all Amen.